Well, I remember as a little girl putting my boots on and going out to walk in the snow, and my dad's big footprints would be ahead of me. And so as a little girl, I'd have to jump ahead to be able to walk in his footprints because they were pretty big shoes to fill. And that's a little bit of what we're going to do in this message series throughout the month of March. We're going to attempt to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's some pretty big shoes to fill. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some different times in Jesus' life from his baptism all the way till his final week in Jerusalem. And in each story that we look at, each stop along the journey over the next month, I want to take you so you can actually see the place where that story took place. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I get a chance to actually see the place in Israel, what it might have looked like, what it might have felt like, it helps to make those stories a little more real. Because I can picture them in my mind and I can see them a little more clearly. So that's what we're going to do throughout this month is be able to look at that, see that picture in our hearts and minds, and I want to help you to see and feel the culture as Jesus experienced it. And my hope is that through these messages, we'll be able to look at some of these important questions like who is Jesus and what was important to him and what does it mean to walk in his footsteps today? And so as we begin our journey this morning, I want us to rediscover baptism. What is what is what does baptism really mean? What, what does Jesus show us through his own baptism? And why is it important for us today? And what I think we're going to be able to see is that as Jesus stepped into the waters of baptism, as he faced temptation in the desert, Jesus went through those things so that you and I, when we experience those things in our own life, that he knows exactly what we're going through because he went there himself. So let's pray as we get started on this message this morning. Lord Jesus, we come here to this time and place this morning with our hearts open, Lord, to receive your message for us. And Lord, we come with all kinds of things in our heart maybe some heavy burdens that we've carried throughout the week. And Lord, we just want to set those down this morning, that you would bring comfort and hope, Lord, where we need it, and that we might find ourselves in this story, and that you might refresh our minds and our hearts with your truth. So Lord, we give you this time. We give you the things that concern us, that weigh us down today. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us as only you can do. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So Mark begins his gospel, his record of Jesus and the story of Christ, by talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. That's Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist's job was to prepare the people to hear Jesus' message. He was to go ahead of them and to help to prepare them to receive the message of Jesus. And people would come to John the Baptist, they'd come to the Jordan River to be baptized so that they might be washed clean of their sin. And it was their desire to receive that as a sign of forgiveness and a sign of repentance. 
And so Jesus begins his public ministry and he intentionally goes to his cousin, John the Baptist. So we're going to start, you're going to see this on the screen, Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 9. It says, at that time, Jesus, uh, Jesus was about 30 years old this, at that time. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And it was about a seven or eight day journey from Galilee, uh, for, excuse me, from Nazareth to this place along the Jordan River. And this was a time that Jesus began his public ministry. It was sort of this time of ordination for him. He was commissioned for a ministry. And I want you to see here, this is a picture of what the Jordan River may have looked like about the time of Jesus. It's kind of a, just a winding river. There would have been brush on both sides. And the people would come there and they'd walk into the water in order to be baptized. Now why would Jesus be baptized? Why would he need a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Jesus hadn't sinned. Why would he need to go into the waters of baptism as so many other people had done to be baptized and washed of their sins? And this is really a question intellectually that Christians have dealt with over and over and over again through the centuries. And the answer is very important. Scholars seem to agree on the fact that Jesus, in choosing to be baptized, was identifying himself fully with humanity. He was identifying himself with us. He was a model for the rest of us to follow. And he publicly stood there that day in order to identify with all of us when we feel sort of estranged from God. When we go through those times in life where we can't find God, when we don't know where God is, those times when we feel guilty, those times when we feel overcome by our own sin, those times when we feel lonely, he stood there publicly and he waded into those waters so he could stand with the broken and the guilty and those who didn't know what to do. And he was sort of foreshadowing that his ministry, everything that he was gonna be focused on was about bringing people back to God, about bringing them and restoring them to fellowship with God, all the people that felt alienated, that felt broken. And he spent his ministry with that. The tax collectors were not well regarded and the people, uh, all kinds of people, he would befriend sinners and tax collectors and ultimately give his life so that we could have this fellowship back with God. And it's a reminder that even on our worst days, when you and I don't feel all that lovely, that Jesus cares and he understands. And so that's a part of why he did it. He stepped into the Jordan River to be baptized. He was showing himself to be the son of man. That term appears 81 times in the Gospels to describe Jesus. And so he came to do that. But on the other side of that as well, Jesus, while showing himself to be the son of man, also becomes the beloved so that people could see that he was also the beloved son of God. It was both. As Jesus walked into the waters that day, it says the heavens opened and the spirit descended and he heard the voice of God say, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. He was not only the son of man, but he was also the beloved son of God. And that's what makes Jesus the only one ever to do that, who is fully God and fully man at the same time. And here is one of the places that we see the concept of the Trinity. 
God three in one, Jesus himself with the voice of the Father and the Spirit descending as a dove. That's the concept of the Trinity. And baptism was not only important for Jesus that day, but it's been important for us as Christians through the centuries. And as the early Christians began to see, they would see this symbol as a way of identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul begins to describe that, and he says, when you go into the waters of baptism, you are going into that and identifying with Jesus' death under the water and coming up into new life, a sort of resurrection, a washing clean, and letting go of that sin and all of that stuff that we want to leave at the foot of the cross. And so we, we are rise, raised to new life, to a change of heart and mind that leads to change behavior. And so we have that example of baptism, and then later we have in Acts chapter 16, we see there that whole families began to be uh, baptized at one time. And so there would be mother and father and children who would be baptized. And so baptism also began to take on this idea that people could be baptized together as a family, not just a sign of repentance for the past, but also a promise of future, that children are marked by God. And like circumcision, it allows us to become a way that we become a part of the family of God. And so maybe you've noticed that different Christian denominations think of baptism a different way that's why, because we have all of these examples of it in Scripture. And so, you know, some of the traditions like the Methodists and the Lutherans and Presbyterians and Catholics, they baptize babies to focus on that, that idea that God goes before us and loves us even when we're young. And other denominations like, like the Baptists and, and non-denominational believe in that believer's baptism. And it's okay, we don't have to all agree on that because baptism is all of those things. It's not something we fight over, it's simply a biblical expression of how we enter into the covenant of God. And so as United Methodists, we believe in sprinkling little babies and in immersion. We believe in baptizing little ones and adults as both of those expressions of baptism are incredibly important. And so baptism is this beautiful expression of becoming a part of the family of God, about his love and his grace that washes over all of our sin, no matter how big or how small. And it is available to all of us, from very little to late in life as well. But I also want us to see today as we look at Jesus' baptism a little more closely that there's really three things that I think is really meaningful for us today. And so the first one is this. We see here in baptism three things. That you belong to God, that you're part of his family, and that God claims you. That God claims you. In verse 11 it says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus was called beloved by his Father. It's a Greek term, agapetos. It's a term of great affection. It's a term of endearment. It clarifies and signifies a special and treasured bond with a favorite person. It means that you're treasured. It means that you're special. 
It's a term of endearment that you might describe your spouse or your children. And when you and I remember our baptism, or when you and I are baptized, we're reminded that we are part of the family of God. And that never changes. No matter what we do, no matter how far we stray from God, no matter how far God seems from us, it's a bond that never, ever changes. No matter what anyone else says, we are part of the family of God. And those apostles and those early Christians, they use this term even when they were addressing each other in the family of God. They would call each other the beloved of God. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do for one another, is to call each other and to be reminded that you are the beloved of God. You're a part of God's family, and he calls you his beloved today. Second, we see here a reminder that the Holy Spirit is working in you, that he has come upon you and given you a power that is not your own. It says that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And Jesus said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is gonna be in you and the Holy Spirit is gonna empower you to do the work that I've called you to do. And so you need to feel that, you and I need to feel that as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus that we are being empowered to do what Christ has asked us to do. And that's not always easy when we feel tired and when we feel run down and when we feel worn out, but God is there to empower us and to give us strength to take the next step and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This happens in all kinds of ways. I was thinking about an example and I remembered a time when I actually uh, went, we were part of a, a prison ministry at one of the churches that I served. And so we went there that night. I, I was tired. I, I was kind of worn out. I, I didn't really, you know, feel like I had a lot of energy to go that night, but I did. And we got there and we were kind of milling about before it started. And one of the guys came up and said, Pastor, what's one of your favorite scripture verses? Well, you know, I got kind of excited. You know, it's like asking a kid in a candy store, what is your favorite candy? You know, it's like all of it. I love all of scripture. And in that moment, I said, well, I said, one of the verses that are really important to me is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, yeah, good. Well, little did I know, about three minutes later, the speaker for that night didn't show up, and so the guy I was talking to was asked to be the speaker, and he had just had to give a devotion on the spot, no, no preparation at all. And do you know what he used? That scripture. And he said, you know, I was reminded of that scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he went on to talk about that, about how difficult life is in prison, but that God really had empowered him and strengthened him for the task. And I felt a little part of that story, even though I was worn out and I didn't really want to go that night. And you have those moments too. When you speak just the right word that somebody needs to hear, or that you make a phone call and they need to hear from you right then, or you send a Facebook message, or you send an email, or whatever. That's the Holy Spirit working in you, empowering you, and strengthening you for what you need. Because that's what He does. The Holy Spirit comes to take residence in us when we commit our lives to Christ. It's a reminder of what happens in baptism. And third, we see here that baptism means that God has a mission for you, that you're commissioned for a purpose and for a ministry. 
Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his public ministry. It was sort of this ordination moment, which he was set aside, he was empowered to do his mission of drawing people to God, of inviting them to be a part of God's kingdom and of demonstrating God's will and ultimately laying his life down for us. And that's why when we baptize a young baby, we say that you are set aside for God's purposes. May you grow to be a great man or woman of God. Or when we baptize an adult or when we baptize a teenager, it's about you have a special mission and a special purpose from God. And it's a reminder to that and it's a special and holy moment. You might remember your baptism at some point in your life. You may have been baptized as a young baby and don't remember that, but it was a special day. And there were people maybe who came to watch that experience and to be part of that because they saw something in you and they prayed for you in that moment. Baptism is special. And it means that God claims you and it means that God empowers you for the task and it means that God has a mission and a ministry for you. And it's very, very important. And I don't know about you, but in my life, when I think about those special experiences or when I go through them, and you have sort of those, those mountaintop moments where you feel like God's really answering your prayers or God's really speaking into your life and those high spiritual moments are often followed by times of testing, maybe even some times of trial. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus too. Right after that scripture, right after that baptism, right after that incredibly important and spiritual moment, it says that he was led or he was driven by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted while fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if I were to ask you to think about the wilderness, what would you think about? Would you think about sort of a forest up north, you know, with a bunch of trees? Or would you think about, you know, something place like that? What I want you to see here in this next picture is this is a picture of the, of the wilderness that Jesus actually went into. No trees. It's dry, it's barren, it's arid. And tradition holds that Jesus spent a great deal of time on this particular mountain. If you go to the next picture there, it's called the Mountain of Temptation. And there are caves in this mountain, and you'll see that there's a monastery that's built there right over the top of the spot where people believe that Jesus slept during his 40 days. And Jesus goes from this high holy moment into this wilderness of temptation, this empty place, this barren place without anybody there. And Jesus is tempted just like we are. And you and I might not meet the devil face to face, but we are tempted all the time, aren't we? With all kinds of thoughts. And you know how those come. They seem like a really good idea, but you know you shouldn't be doing it. And they say, well, it's okay to look at this website, nobody will know, or it's okay to watch this movie, or it's okay to, you know, buy this thing even though I really don't need it. All those temptations that come into our minds and to our hearts. And the enemy wants to plant seeds of, of division and seeds of bitterness and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus experienced all of that temptation. There isn't anything that is different than what we experience. In this particular case, Jesus was tempted with three things. He was tempted with food, with power and wealth, and testing God. 
He was asked, who do you trust more for your basic needs and are you willing to sell your soul for fame or power or are you going to test God? And these were the temptations that Jesus faced and these testings were meant to strengthen his resolve so he would be prepared for the ministry that God had called him to. And what does he do in every temptation? He responds with the word of God because it's important. And knowing the word of God and allowing it to be part of our life is what gives us the power and the strength to do what he asks us to do. So that we know a verse, when somebody comes up to you and says, what's your favorite verse? That you have one. And you're able to speak out of that. And knowing scripture helps to defend ourselves against all the temptations that we face. And temptation is a part of life from when we're very young all the way to when we're older. And Jesus went through this so that we would know and that he would know exactly what that was. I'm reminded of Hebrews um, chapter four, verse 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest, it's speaking about Jesus here, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus went through this so that we could identify with him. And that brings us back to baptism. Part of being baptized is believing that we are claimed by God, that you are the beloved of God and nothing that you do will change that. It's a reminder that you've been anointed by the Spirit, that you've been set aside for his purposes. And as Christians, we are meant to remember our baptism each and every day. You might not remember exactly how that baptism took place. You might not remember that baptism. You've been told the stories of it if you did it when you were young. But each of us are called to remember that we are baptized. That we are the beloved of God and to remember that God has forgiven our sins, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we're called out to live that message of Jesus every single day. And it's what helps to give us the defense against all the temptations of life. It's said that Martin Luther, when he would struggle with bouts of depression, he would look into the mirror when he was at his lowest points and he'd say to himself, Martin Luther, you are baptized. And don't you ever forget it. And so I ask all of us to remember that same thing today that you are a baptized and beloved child of God. And nobody can ever take that away. And when someone calls you a name in the locker room, remember that you're a child of God. And when you fail a test at school, remember that you're a child of God. And when somebody breaks up with you, remember you're a child of God. And when your job is downsized at work, remember you're a child of God. And when you get into a heated argument with your spouse, Remember that both of you are children of God. And when you're at your lowest moments, remember always that you are a child of God. Lauren Daigle is a contemporary Christian artist and she just put out a new song. It just reminded me of this. She says, when the best of me is barely breathing, when I'm not somebody I even believe in, when I'm slamming all the doors you've opened, hold on to me. Hold on to me, God. 
Hold on to me when it's too dark to see you, when I'm not sure of what is next. Hold on to me when I forget I need you. When I let go, hold me again. And so as we start this journey, we just want to be reminded that this baptism is important. And that you are a beloved child of God and he claims you as his own just as he did with Jesus. And when we remember our baptism, when we remember identity, we remember, we remember that God holds us in that moment. You are part of God's family and he pulls you close today and he says, remember that you are my beloved. When you feel all alone, when you feel like you've done something that you can't be forgiven for, when you feel at your lowest, Jesus says, you are my beloved and nothing will change that. I don't care how young or old we are today. With everything that life is throwing at us right now, all of us need to be reminded of that message and to look in the mirror this week and to be reminded that the Spirit of God lives in you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can face anything that comes at you your way this week. Stare down fear and stare down anxiety and stare down loneliness. And rest in the purpose that God has given to you in this moment. And when we live out of that identity and when we live out of that purpose, that's how we truly walk in the footsteps of Jesus today.